0: Hello and welcome to an important episode of The Full Life. Today's show is all about politics. It's something we can't avoid, and it's certainly in the news every day, and it affects our lives. But as Christians, how do we engage in politics? We all know that we just came off a very divisive election. But we want to take a step back from that today and just really talk more broadly about how Christians should approach being part of the political spectrum at all, but before that, let me bring in the panel and we'll get things started. Hello, Jenny and Hank. Good to see you. I so, Good
1: to be back. <laughs> Good We're to Mr. see you. our girl Carolyn.
0: Yeah. Oh, no. Yes, Carolyn couldn't be here today, but we do have two great guests to fill fill her spot today. So let me give them an introduction. Hi, Sean Rowland is the youth pastor for Jennison Franklin's Free Chapel in the Atlanta area. He is married to his wife, Victoria, and he stays humble with his demonic dog, as he describes. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome. To-
2: like nice John. to be here thank you for having me
0: man that
3: that's one I of the best bios i've heard in a long time
1: i got one of those so i understand it's true, I to it's true.
0: they'll
2: do it to you
0: <laughs> all right and our next guest aaron Schaefer, is a christian author blogger podcaster and motivational speaker He is the author of the recent best-selling book, The Politically Homeless Christian, How to Conquer Political Idolatry, Reject Polarization and Recommit to God's Greatest Two Commandments. And he is out of Michigan with his wife, Naomi, and their four children. Please welcome Aaron Schaefer. As we know in the culture today, we have become incredibly divisive in so many areas, but we've also been, everything's been heightened. You gotta get the best sound bite. You've gotta go this far on this side and this far on that side. And I think we have lost a lot of what we should really be talking about together. And I think potentially Christians have the opportunity to lead the way there, but let's talk about that in the panel today. So my question is, and I'll start with Aaron, since you just wrote the book with it is, You know, how should Christians be approaching or engaging in politics? What should be the approach?
4: You know, I think the first thing that that we need to do if we're going to do it in a healthy way is to remember where our identity is supposed to be placed, which is in Jesus. You know, so much of today, I feel like our affiliation with either political party, whether someone leans more liberal, leans more conservative, is it's really hijacked our our identity. And the hard part is when you allow a political party or, or just even a lean to become stronger than your identity in Christ, then it manifests itself in a lot of pretty damaging ways. And so I think the first thing that we need to do as Christians is to get back to that rock of, hey, first and foremost, I am a disciple of Jesus and that whoever I lean towards in this single political season is not more important than me maintaining my witness to a broken and fallen world. It is not more important than me guarding my heart so that I am and defending the relationship that I have with the father. And if it becomes any more than that, if we allow our, our affinity for uh, the democratic party for the Republican party to stir up a, a level of, um, of hatred, of vitriol, if we allow any of those emotions that are not from God because of our following of politics, then I I would argue we've created an idol. And I think that's the first thing Christians need to do is become really aware when politics has become an idol in their life, uh, because that is not meant to sit on the throne that Jesus meant to Mm -hmm. sit on. And if we have that level of humility to say, let's, let's step back instead of saying, yep, hey, I am a like, lifelong Democrat, I'm a lifelong Republican, if instead we step back and say, hey, I'm I'm a lifelong follower of Jesus, first and foremost, and I'm willing to engage you in dialogue of what are the best ways we can approach some very real challenges our society has? How can we look at some very challenging issues? But I'm open-minded to your thoughts. I'm open-minded to hearing your perspective, because maybe I haven't thought about every side of every issue. And so when we seek after wisdom, as Christ followers, and we do it with that level of of humility, but also bringing that love of Jesus to the world in the way we model that behavior towards politics. Uh, I think that goes a long way.
0: Tyshawn, how has your um, maybe political journey, you know, changed or evolved over the years, especially in this year as we've had a lot of yeah. time to sit and think about it.
2: I think before we talk about like politics and God's opinion for it, I think we need to know God's opinion period and I think we need to know the word. And I think what's happened a lot of times is that whether it's whether you're a Republican, whether you're a Democrat, either way, do you know actually God's word? Because you can find a scripture that can represent a party's affiliation or you can represent a party's focus, but if you don't even know what that scripture really means, if you don't even know what God's opinion really is, sometimes you're making a decision off of a off of a uh, off of knowledge that you really don't really know yet, and so for me that was kind of like how I felt. It was like, okay, I guess if I'm a Christian, do I just naturally have to be a Republican? You know, if, or because you know maybe people just assume that I'm African American, I got to be Democrat. You know, sometimes I've just allowed myself to let people make the decision for me to the point where it was something I really didn't concern myself with. What happened for me and in the season when it came to COVID, when it came to quarantine, is that our attention was on the news in ways that i have never been on, and. When whether it was the death of Breonna Taylor, whether it was um, someone else being murdered, whether it was something else going on with our president or something else going on in a party, you know, I just started looking at all the news. and I was like, does politics really affect our world that much? You know, because I'm going to be honest and I'm going to come out and say it like because I know there are a lot of young leaders that are in my position that we really don't know. And not only do we not know, it's almost like we don't care. We always feel like, you know, it doesn't matter who's the president. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to focus on my entrepreneurial goals and focus on my ministry. And it is what it is. But then you start realizing, you know, the politics of our world does control certain things that we're doing and it does affect certain things. You know, you can vote in the sheriff who is actually going to be hiring the police officers that are going to be in our neighborhood. I didn't know that. No one told me that. I didn't know that Mm -hmm. the person we vote for can affect our taxes and our taxes are my paycheck. So you mean that there's a way that I can get a little bit more money? Money or a little bit less money, and I can actually control where that money is distributed. I didn't know that at all. I'll tell you what, really, in a weird way, affected me. And I'm just going to be completely honest. And I don't know if anyone has seen this musical, uh, it's the Hamilton musical. And I was watching it, and I was like, Alexander Hamilton, who, like, I I know him from school, but then once you get out of that season, you don't think about it. And watching that, and then looking at our society, I was like, oh, I see what he was fighting for. I see what was kind of weird in my opinion. But when I just started looking at life and I started realizing that the politics does touch a lot of things in our society. And as a pastor, sometimes I think that is it's God's, it's, it's like almost the church's role to take care of everything in the world. And it's like, no, the church is the hope of the world. But God has given power to certain people and it, our power literally is shown through political structure and political um, power, people in power. And I think the best thing that we can do is vote for the right people. They're going to do the best thing, not just for our world, but literally for our community, like locally, like, you know, I grew up with a single mother um, who didn't make a certain amount of money. And for us, it was very hard. I didn't understand that if I would have voted for a different person, there was a different person in power. It could, it could help our home. I just was believing God for someone to show up with the check in the mail. And then that would bless us. I had no idea that there were systems already in place by political parties that would help my mom out. My mom was a single mother for two kids struggling so much. And if I would have known what I've known, if I would have know what I know now, then I would even tell my mom. I said, "Mom, you know, you can rally at people. You can get a community organizing something. You can get it in front of the right people. You can actually change your situation, not just for this mm-hmm. home, but for people like you." And so, for me, I've learned the importance of, of, of politics and policies because I see that it does affect our daily life almost to a certain extent, as much as Jesus does. And so, I think it's important. And my journey is to constantly learn, constantly grow, ask questions, inquire. You know, me and my wife, we we used to watch Netflix before we went to bed. Now we watch the news in the morning. We watch news at night just to stay informed. And sometimes, you know, depending on who you watch, depending on what they sway you as, but at least it creates a level of awareness that I don't think I would have had before COVID. I think before COVID, I was completely committed to ministry, almost to um, the detriment, which was probably hurting me in in weird ways. So for me, I think the greatest thing that happened in quarantine is my awareness to um, politics and how can it really affect our culture.
0: Jenny, I'll pass it to you. What do you? What is your perspective on this?
1: Well, I actually started as a poli sci major in college. Um, I've always found politics very interesting. I I thought many years ago, obviously being a poli sci major, I um, I thought about being involved in politics. Although I wanted to be a preacher from a young age, you know, at back then, you know, I didn't know if I'd even be able to do that as a woman. And so I looked at politics, and I lasted about a year. Because I don't like arguing, um, I was like, I don't want anything to do with this. Um, so I've held a political opinion, but I kind of drifted more to where you know uh, Ty has been, which was kind of like, you know what, I, I care, but I don't care. Yeah. I care about Jesus. I care about leading people to the Lord. Um, you know, I, I, that was sort of emphasized when I went into, you know, I probably, back in those days, leaned Republican. Um, But then I went into theater and I moved to New York and I was with a bunch of artists and I was the only Republican. And I remember, man, I would have these like arguments with people over abortion and over, I mean, evolution isn't really political, but it kind of was when we were growing up, you know, what was being taught in school. And so, you know, I would get so frustrated because I was the only one and that felt really lonely. And then I sort of shifted into, um, as a pastor, as we became, you know, it, it as we were in ministry and, and as pastors, I really felt that politics had no place whatsoever in the pulpit. And it bothered me when preachers would talk about candidates. It upset me very, very much. Um, you know, of course, in my journey, uh, Joe, you also know, though, that I, to kind of fast forward and speed through some things, I did also write a book called Jesus Was a Liberal. Yeah. And so you might go, well, then how could you say you weren't in politics? But the thing is, that wasn't even a political book. It was it was kind of a catchy title. I don't believe that Jesus was political. Um, he wasn't a political figure, but he certainly was a revolutionary. And so I talk you know, a bit about that. So, you know, that's been a struggle for me. But now that we're pastoring on a regular basis, I still don't believe in promoting a candidate from the pulpit. I don't think that's necessarily right. However, there have been some things I've had to speak out about recently. And that's been simply stuff when it comes to promoting ideologies that are anti-Christ, that is where I believe the church has responsibility to have a voice. When you see Christians aligning themselves with politics that are anti-Christ, anti-biblical, that are anti-our faith, that is where I finally found like, found a bit of a voice politically again um, to say, here's the thing, I'm not gonna tell you who to vote for. You have to vote your conscience. And I don't think it's right to tell people, but I do think it's right to step up and say, this is not God. In no way, shape or form have we as Christians ever been in a position where we're supposed to promote lawlessness because Jesus said, when we stand before him on the judgment day, Away from me, you who practice lawlessness.
3: So this is a big question. Um, I think so part of kind of how I want to answer it is I think both my spiritual um, homes, if you will, kind of formulate this answer. Um, now I identify as an Anabaptist, which when a lot of people are like, what's that? I was like, well, everything you really like about Christianity, they, you know, that's who we've always been. Um, so like, for example, people who believe in believers baptism, we got killed for that, you know? People who really believe that you know the kingdom of God looks very different than the kingdom of Spain or France or Britain or now United States, we also got killed for that, you know. So I think that like on one hand, my Anabaptism really, really um, tells me, which I think it informs most of Christianity. I just think for us as Anabaptists, like we got blood in the game, like we've died for these ideas. So it's not just like, oh yeah, obviously I believe in separation of church and state. We're like no 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 the catholic and the protestants killed us for this you know um so i very much have that as part of my heritage but then when it comes to politics i think part of my other home is the black church you know like i think that you don't have or at least some people don't have the privilege to not care you know like when a state tells you you cannot vote you know like you don't have the, you know you can't just be like oh yeah no i'm good you know or if they say you cannot sit in this space or you cannot use this water fountain, you know? And I think what a lot of people forget is that, you know, a lot of the movements in this country for good has been led by Christians. I think Christians sometimes forget that. You know, I don't think we would have abolished slavery without Christians. I don't think women would have gotten the right to vote. I don't think we would have got child labor laws. I don't even think we would have gotten um, civil rights. And so one of the things I would tell people is It's great when people talk about Martin Luther King and how he was affected by Gandhi. And I'm always like, what about this Jesus guy? Because I kind of feel like that's who was the one, you know, like I kind of feel like that's his Lord and Savior, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So so I, I do think that for me, it's been a journey. So for me, the work has been how do I as an Anabaptist keep my focus on heaven without neglecting on earth? Because these decisions do impact people. Um, And I think that's some of the hard things in some of these conversations is that a lot of us are so good at just resigning to our privilege, you know, and for me, it's a privilege to not care, you know, and I think that's something I had to learn. Um, I come from a very political family. For me, when it comes to politics, it's how do we find this balance between, yeah, my, my eyes are focused on Jesus, some of the stuff that's been said, is this antithetical to the Christian message or the Christian meaning? Is this antithetical to God's kingdom? I think all those are great answers or good questions to always ask. But I also think though, we need to figure out how is this impacting my neighborhood? How is this impacting the people who are in and around me? And what is the message that they're getting as well? So it's like, I think part of the work as Christians is to try our best to spread that out. Now, I have a lot of Christian friends who are like, well, I mean, some of the stuff you want the politicians to do, the church is supposed to do. I was like, no, that's not true at all. Like, the church could not grant Black people the right to vote. You know, like, it could Like, that's impossible. The church could not grant women the right to vote. Um, the church, you know, so I think that, like, we, we, we use that, I think, almost more as a crutch and a get-out-of-jail card. A lot of these things, it comes from our privilege of not thinking it matters, so, how do we as a church? And I think Jenny's right on the point that, like, first of all, I don't think it's legal technically for any church to propose a candidate. And I think Tyshawn hit it. Like, God has given certain people power and they have power to make decisions that affect the masses. Um, so, I don't get to just sit back. You know, if I really care about my community, I have to think politically. And my last point I'll stop is that, like, Jesus is probably the most political person in the Bible. Like, Jesus was able to look at Caesar and be like, yeah, no you know, give to him what's him, but do you really belong to me? Like I'm the true savior. Like all that language that we use now was Jesus co-opting Roman language, you know, like Lord, savior, Messiah, King, King of Kings. Like he was co-opting their language to say, no, I matter the most, you know? So I think that's another fun one for people to think about. Cause we like to think that Jesus was like, I'm here for the kingdom. I'm not doing anything, but it's like, no, 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 no. He was up here to rip down some stuff, you know, like the Jesus who flipped tables is a lot closer to, I think, Jesus and his fight for justice than, than we sometimes like to think.
0: My question is, because I think a lot of people may feel fatigue when they are constantly barraged with that information. How have you learned to stay informed without feeling like this is draining me and my spirit? Yeah.
2: I think you know I have a very addictive personality and so at first it, it 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 grew it grew down it slowed down into in the morning and night there was a point where during quarantine me and my wife just had it on all day at one point on my Instagram I I was following a lot of a lot of politics a lot of politicians just to stay informed because sometimes it's like I think Denzel Washington said this. So shout out to Denzel. He said, if you if you don't read the news, you're uninformed. And if you read the news, you're misinformed. And, was, and you're like, okay, I don't know which one it is, but I just rather be aware and unsure than unaware at all. And so for me, what I try to do is that, okay, if I know I go on my phone the most throughout the week or throughout my day, I just had to unfollow certain people off Instagram because I realized that, okay, if I'm seeing it, in the morning when I'm watching it TV and then throughout my day, I'm watching it. And then in my conversations, that's what we're talking about. I've learned that I cannot orient my day around that. So I watch it in the morning and I watch it at night, but in the morning I'm praying and reading my Bible at night, me and my wife in our night in prayer. So it doesn't matter what we do right after. It's about what we're doing before. And we're making God the priority, even in conversations. I don't I don't entertain it that much because I don't want it to be the central of my life, but I do think it's important to, to almost just give time to it. So I try my best to just say, okay, hey Ty, if you watch a little bit too much, you know, just just slow down a little bit. And I've done that with certain profiles that are very helpful. Sometimes you can almost see these crazy stories or, or different people getting shot in the street and all this stuff. And you can all on- honestly. Certain Instagrams can make you think it's happening every day and it's happening right down your street and there's nothing you can do about it. And then realize, then you start realizing, no, there. it's a compilation of multiple things that just happened and there are multiple things that have happened over a course of time that I'm finding out right now. So right. a lot of people found out about George Floyd months after it happened. A lot of people found out Ahmaud Arbery months after it happened. But if you found out George Floyd... Uh, Ahmad Aubrey and Brian Taylor all in one day. You're incredibly overwhelmed. So for me, is that Ooh. if I find myself watching a little too much and I find myself caring a lot more about what my president is doing than what my pastor is doing, that's my problem.
1: Man, you just hit the nail on the head on so many things there. Um, you start having fear. You know, as a pastor, I start to see people suddenly having fear um, because they're seeing stuff on the news and they're being overwhelmed yeah. by it overloaded by it and then they're just sure oh that's going to happen to me and like you said you you see things back to back so you're you know you're saying oh my gosh this is happening every day right down the street from me and like take a step back yeah either watch what you take in i think it's important to watch several sources um i i used to watch i'm going to be honest you know i was one of those people i hated when Christians called CNN chicken noodle news. It just annoyed me. I thought it was ignorant and stupid. i never heard that. I you watch chicken noodle news? I was like, y'all are so stupid. Why do you talk like that? Why do you make us look dumb? And so it annoyed me because I was like, you know, CNN's accurate. And I'm going to be honest, we watched primarily CNN and there has been so much in the past six months I've caught them lying about that. I was like, oh my gosh. Like they'd say, oh, well, our president just, just, just said this. And I was like, I just watched the press conference. He didn't say anything of that. Yeah. And it made me go, I see what people are saying. I mean, think about it guys. What's TV stand for television, right? Tell. A vision. I know that sounds cheesy and you've heard it, I'm sure, but it's true. You're having people tell you a vision. They're telling you what you want to hear. They're creating your narrative. And so you have to be so careful to guard your ear gate, your eye gate, your heart. Um, I just think, you know, if you just watch one side, if you just watch CNN all day or just watch Fox all day, you're just going to continue to hear what you want to hear. And if we continually avoid arguments with people that don't agree with us, and I'm just going to hang out with those people because they agree with me, or watch that report because it makes me feel good about what I believe. It's really important um, to not do that because then we could actually be the group of people that Jesus is talking about that will be deceived because we're not being willing to hear other perspectives and hearing other sources of information.
0: Hank, Jenny started to touch on it. and And my question really is how do we combat in this age of misinformation? I mean, anything is true on the internet until you, you know, I, you know, I think she hit started it when you, you go to multiple sources to see if it's true. But how have you been able to, you know, combat misinformation as you're trying to, to stay informed?
3: A um, couple things. I mean, I think one way is I tried to listen to international mm-hmm. news Um, as well. Part of that's my international background. But part of that is I realized that, like, yeah, everyone's selling that vision. But like they tend to be more truthful, you know, because like they don't mind throwing shade on us. Like they do not like BBC will have like a line that you're just like, oh, I didn't think about that, you know. Um, So I think that's one way I try to also maintain that balance, not just saying what CNN or Fox or MSNBC is saying, but I'm just curious what BBC has to say um, or other sources. And then here's a, a fun, you know, biblical principle I try to hold on to, you know, it's like they will know them by their fruit. You know, I think that is still a very good way to gauge and engage, you know, so it's not just these talking points. It's they will know them by their fruit. So what is the fruit of this leadership? What is the fruit of this comment? What is the fruit of this policy? What is the fruit of this news? You know, like, what are they trying to
0: say here? Or what are they saying? And how is it affecting the people? Uh, uh, Aaron, I want to toss to you and ask, kind of follow up on that question, but also because I know in your book, you talk about guarding your heart. So I have that, I want to talk about that concept in terms of, you know, digesting all this information and how important that is and then going into the idea of unity and or compromise because sometimes compromise feels like a scary word because people think they're going to compromise some beliefs so can you talk to that a little bit
4: yeah absolutely i, I think that the on the garden your heart side of things you know going to the news you know one of the things i try to do as much as possible is read more than watch I, I try to read more than watch, I try to read more than listen, because a lot of times when we're watching and listening, we're getting caught up in personality. You know, we're, we're allowing like mm-hmm. these role reactions that we have to the way they're giving us the information in a way that we don't when we just read. And so I also try to, as much as possible, try to read like researched, journalism like so these are like stories that have been really thoroughly you know reported on as opposed to opinion pieces because so often right now what we follow is politics has been become a sport where we're rooting for our team and it's we care more about the wins and the losses than we do about good governance and the, a lot of times the reason that happens is we get so caught up in the whole horse race of it so we end up turning to people for their opinion on how is this going to affect the election how is this going to change this and 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 we want winners and losers so badly as opposed to actually thinking how can we govern well what are policies that could actually help with these very real challenges that our society is facing and so it's not a lot about substance anymore which is why i would rather read a real really well investigated piece than listen to commentary about different things that are happening i encourage everyone that i talk to about politics just go to the source, go to the actual websites of candidates, go look at their Twitter feed, go look at the information they are putting out into the world. You don't need to hear commentary on what they think. You can just go to the source. And at that point, ask yourself, is this the type of person that I feel like following? And I feel like it's going to be a good leader. And that doesn't just go for the presidential race. A lot of times we get so caught up in presidential politics in our country that we forget that the exact same thing applies at for your senator for your person or your congressman or woman, uh, for local officials, is actually getting to know the candidates and saying, does this seem like a person of integrity, a person of humility, a person that has a lot of the characteristics the Bible talks about that we should look for in leaders? And because so often we just want to pick a party and then just vote straight ticket versus actually getting to know the candidates and understanding the nuance that goes in some of these topics.
0: So what I wanted to do, Aaron, from what you said, was really go into some of those topics now and talk, you talk a lot about what may, based on the teachings of Jesus, what might be his social platform? You know, now, we won't know exactly what he would choose and how which if, how involved the government should be or not should be uh, in each situation, but what are the concepts that Jesus would care about based on the teachings we know in the Bible?
4: Oh, absolutely. I think that if we, if we wanna say that our view as Christians is impacting everything that we do in the world, so how we live, how we vote, which I think that it should, is we should ask ourselves first and foremost, have we read through all of the words of Jesus and then thought about how does he stand on different issues? Because a lot of times as Christians, we have a tendency to purely say, what does Jesus think and how can I cherry pick certain verses in the Bible about you know, topics that I'm passionate about versus mm-hmm. saying, what did he spend the vast majority of his time on earth talking about? And the vast majority of Jesus' the time on earth was spent talking about how do we help the poor and the marginalized? That was, that was the biggest talking points he had. And now, did he talk about other issues? Sure. But the vast majority of his time was spent, how do we help the poor and the marginalized? If he wasn't talking about the kingdom of heaven, those were, his, those were his two issues. And so I think as Christians, it would be really important for us to say, we can disagree on the best way to go about helping the poor and the marginalized. But if we're focusing on other issues outside of those, then I think that we're straying from Jesus's core message when he was here. And so that's what I would wish that the church would spend more time on is issues of helping the poor, helping the marginalized. And how can we do that best? Because there's a lot of really profound challenges in our society right now, um, in a lot of groups feeling marginalized and a lot of um, income inequity in the country. And so we can have that debate Mm -hmm. on how to best solve that. But I think if we're not starting with those issues as the core of what Jesus talked about, then then we're making a mistake as Christians.
3: So again, as an Anabaptist, like I think most Christians would say we're Jesus-centered, but like, I don't know, like for us, that's what it is, right? So like, for example, the Sermon on the Mount, you know, we call that the canon within the canon, you know? So it's like, if Jesus is the full representation of God, and Jesus is God, and Jesus says this, we need to do it, you know? Um, So that forms a lot of the basis. But I think for me, a personal twitch in all this was... Um, that famous passage that most Christians love to quote about the least of these, you know, when Jesus separates the sheep and the goats. And um, goats. And what was fascinating to me was, you know, I remember talking with someone. They're like, "Huh? Do you think Jesus feels that? Like, it's not just like a like rhetoric. It's not just like him trying to be smart or saying something. But like, do you think Jesus is serious? Because he was hungry. You know, he was tired. He was in jail. You know, he was beaten." He was broken, you know, and I was just like, huh, never thought about it that way. You know, we at that point in my life, I'd done so much work on we need to love the least of these. When it dawned upon me, they're like, oh, my gosh, like on the cross, for example, Jesus was all those things he's naming, you know. Um, So that was one eureka moment. The second one was probably the Beatitudes. Again, um, Jesus' most talked about subject was kingdom. You know, um, and and again, just to pick back Aaron, like then the second one was like the disadvantage, right? And when you look through who Jesus says are the people of the kingdom, it's these people who've been disadvantaged. And it's like when you read through those Beatitudes, it is not just like bad words. These are systemic oppressed people, you know, yet he still gives and provides them hope. So I think for us, when we think about, you know, how to engage on any issue, the first one is realizing that, like, again, if you, I mean, one quick marker for everyone for that, that to know where my card is. If you have home in any political party, like, I feel like you're you're teetering that, like, idolatry watch. Like, if, if you just walk on, look at their platform and be like, yes, I am a Democrat, you know? Yes, I'm fully Republican, 100% agree. Like, to me, that's closer to idolatry than being faithful to Jesus, because I, I don't think either side can represent Jesus um, because they're not supposed to. They're out for their own selves, right? Um, and kind of a unifying one, at least for me on this, is looking at immigration, for example. Um, we as Christians believe Jesus is Lord, yet there's more in the Bible on how we should treat the alien, the stranger, the foreigner, the immigrant than there is on Jesus is Lord. You know, like if you pull all the verses that you can buy, okay, this certainly means Jesus is God, Right. I guarantee you I could probably find about 10 times the amount on how we're supposed to love the immigrant and the, the alien, the stranger among us, right? Um, so for me, both parties have let us down because both parties are designed to do what they think is best for America. Not necessarily people who are immigrants, you know, but like the church needs to step up there, right? So, so for me, that's what I'm saying is that like, yeah, knowing those of Jesus, knowing who he's reaching out to, but then also knowing how that interacts And part of the way I think you can get peace in all of this is knowing that you're not supposed to find home in either party. And it was this great meme that said, like everyone needs to stop looking at voting as finding your soulmate, when in actuality, we just need a bus driver to get us to the next stop. And I was like, that's brilliant. You know what I mean? Like A lot of times when people talk about who they want to vote for, it's like, the perfect one, my perfect candidate to spend the rest of my life with, right? No, man, it's like, I'm in Harrisburg trying to get to Philly. You driving to Philly? Let's go to Philly. (laughs) Like, you only taking me an hour? Fine, I'll stop in Lancaster, and then I'll get to Philly, right? I think that's how we need to somehow approach some of these things. It's like, who's going to push it forward for the greater good, you know? Um, Not Mm -hmm. who's going to perfectly be married to me in all my beliefs and
0: my thinking. Tyshawn, how do we apply some of the, you know, the biblical teaching of Jesus, especially when it comes, as we're saying, the marginalized, the poor, the foreigner? Which, there's, they're correct in saying that's so much of his ministry. <clears throat> how does that apply when we're talking to about political decisions that could affect those things?
2: Yeah, I mean, I would definitely say there there's some political um, agendas that I don't know. If they're even that talked about in the Bible, but there's some, I think even with the poor, you know, uh, when God chose Apostle Paul, he was gone for three years and he was just focused on God. The Holy Spirit was downloading things. He was changing his heart. But when he came back, we see in Galatians two kind of like what happened when he came back. In the only thing that the previous apostles said to him, like the only thing they said, hey, we're good that you're here. We know that you used to kill Christians. Please don't kill us now. We hope you are really changed. We hope you're really safe. Just make sure and everything that you're going to do next, make sure you're taking care of the poor. And so I think for us, it's making sure that there's a part of our life that's prioritizing the same thing that God prioritized in the Bible. And I think I think whatever that looks like, it's finding your equivalent equivalent. I think if there's something that you can, yes, always tie to your church, but maybe you can find an organization that is helping the very struggle that that you went through as a kid, whether that is um, against single mothers, whether that's poverty, whether that's people that don't have a lot. Sometimes just donating and giving away, giving your money away is one of the best things that we can do. Helping with resources. So I think that in our life, it it only can be something that we make important if we prioritize it. So we got to figure out, okay, how am I going to prioritize this? What is that going to look like in in our life? And I think the biggest thing is using Google and asking questions, finding out, okay, what, what organization can I give money to? What organization is helping with this? How can I involve myself in the conversation. I think so many times we love having opinions, but we really don't invite ourselves into the conversation to help with that change. So I think whatever that looks like at on, on a local level, I think so many times like even the scripture where Jesus says, you know, render to Caesars where to Caesars, people don't even know the Caesar equivalent in their city. They don't know their mayor. They don't know their governor. They have no idea what it is. All the when they think about voting, they think of it okay, once every four years they have no idea that there's a governor that has way more power. And I think COVID taught us this. It was like when the president gave power to the governor, suddenly we all know our governor's name now. Uh-huh. Well, you, you should have known Caesar's name before. So maybe this in a weird way was God trying to get us to get aligned in the right way. I think even when it comes to paying taxes, we see in Matthew 17, he tells Peter, hey, go into the go out fishing. I want you to get a fishing line in the fish's mouth. You're going to get a coin, take that coin and pay the taxes, which shows that even Jesus, he knew the right thing to do. He said, okay, whether I agree with the taxes or not, I'm going to pay them. So I'm going to prioritize what this government is putting in front of me. And I think as Christians, we can't run away from certain things like that. Well, it's not in the Bible. No, it is in the Bible, but I, I go back to what I said in the, in in the beginning, we got to know our word. And when we know our word, we can know our involvement. Like I I think um, as she was saying earlier, I don't know if it's a responsibility for pastors to choose a politician, but I do think it's a responsibility of a pastor to talk about important policies. Hey, Hey, you know, I don't see a lot of churches, everyone during the election is saying, go vote. But when there's a time to, I think it would be so cool on church websites if there was a church calendar. Say important dates to know about. You can vote in your new sheriff. You can vote in your new governor. You can vote in your new mayor. Whether I think we just need to get better because if the devil can get us to be silent about it, usually we'll just never, we won't think it's important. So I think as Christians we need to do a better job practically by involving ourselves in it. And you, it's going to take it's going to take research because locally every everybody's different. Everyone has different structures. Everyone has different issues. What I'm struggling with in Georgia is not the same thing that California is struggling struggling with. The laws that are getting passed in, in California would never get passed in Georgia because there's certain people in Georgia that just said, hey, we're not going to let that happen. That, that's never going to happen over here. So I think informing us ourselves, and then I think you inform yourself first, and then you involve yourself later. What I think we're doing right now is that we're evolving ourselves first, and then by the time we're involved, we're not even that informed. And we're like, oh my gosh, I'm on the wrong side. Oh, I thought I was fighting for this, but really it's that. I thought, I thought this message represented this. But actually represents that. And what happened is that our passion got the best of us. And so we got too involved too quick. And so I think we need to slow down a little bit, inform ourselves and then practically involve ourselves. So that that would be like my opinion on that.
1: interesting the subject on the poor as we were talking about you know um, obviously yes I Hank you know I say the same thing that Jesus talked about the kingdom of God more than anything he talked about salvation um, I believe it's six or seven times depending on translation the kingdom of God is 119 times again depending on translation so that was a a very big thing in the kingdom of God and what what that is and so knowing about that and having our allegiance to the kingdom of God, and recognizing uh, that that is where our political party really needs to lie. If, if we are, you know, going to say it like that, is with the kingdom. Um, you know, uh, what's interesting is when we talk about Jesus, you know, and his talking uh, of the the poor and helping the poor. Of course, me being Hebrew Roots pastor, I always have to go to that Hebrew route. Part of what Jesus was addressing is when you notice people that were sick or or poor, you have to know that in Judaism you were considered cursed. If you were poor, you were considered in sin. If you were poor, or if you were sick, remember the story of the blind man, you guys all know this, you know, who sinned this, this man or his parents. It wasn't, did he sin? It was who sinned? there was an intricate understanding that there was sin because this man was blind and, and Jesus answers, you know, neither. Well, that was a foreign concept to them. You know, and the same could be applied to, well, who sinned uh, that these people are poor because Actually, you know, when you look at the Old Testament to be poor is looked very much down upon that you aren't trusting God and that you aren't, um, you know, in in God's will or you're not following after him or or whatever. And so I think when Jesus, one of the things he was dealing with with the poor was to change the mindset, you know, around the poor people. But he also said things like what he said to Judas when he said the poor you'll have with you always. Well, that doesn't sound very loving. That wasn't him going out. Let's go out and get a program and help all these. You know, Judas was a little bit self-righteous, wasn't he? When he said, how could you use this oil? This could be sold the money and given to the poor. But self-righteous, we know his self-righteousness. It wasn't righteous because he probably wanted to pocket that money. So he was using it a bit as a cover, um, you know, in talking about the poor. And Jesus said, there's always going to be poor people. And, and there's nothing we can necessarily do to completely eradicate it why well because a lot of times poverty is a mindset so that's uh-huh. where i look at it you know um biblically speaking because there are people that were born with nothing that, one of the greatest parts of our country one of the greatest things that we get to see and partake in is stories of people that were that had nothing you know, one, one of the things we love is hearing those stories of, of the guy who said, I grew up in an apartment with six people, you know, in, in a one bedroom apartment and you know, in sh- downtown Chicago. And man, now I, I bought my first apartment and then I bought something else and then I bought something else. And now I have, you know, I own 50 properties. I mean, we love those things. And I think that's the heart Jesus was into, not into us all becoming millionaires, but into us helping people, not just by giving them a meal. I think that's important. Also, by helping, by dealing with people's mindsets on poverty, by helping not with just a handout but by helping to transition the kingdom of God into people's minds, recognizing the kingdom is here. We don't have to answer to the rules of this world, not saying rules and laws, but I'm just talking about the rules that say, well, you can't do this and you can't do that. I believe that um, that's one of the ways we are to address biblically poverty is to help people get out of it, not just help them while they're in it, not just to sustain their time in it. You know, that that's a, that's a big issue that we have in our country. I mean, that, that is a lot of the policy of the Democratic Party, which is where I've struggled with the Democratic Party, because it's about give, give, give and give handouts. And that's great. But are we helping people to not live there? I have heard people say, why would I ever want to go get a job? The check I get, the insurance I get, the handout, you know, all that is more than I would get in a job. So is that actually helping people biblically speaking? So I think it's important to take a step back and look at it, you know, in in several different perspectives when, when we're supposed to help the poor and we're supposed to feed them. Is that where it ends? Just feeding, just because we were doing that, Joe. You know that our Bible study, we took people out and we fed people at nights. We were in downtown Hollywood. We would take our actors out there and we'd take them out on the streets and give food. And it's a wonderful experience when you can actually feed somebody that's hungry and and you know give them socks, you know, when they're cold and clothe them like the Bible tells us to do. But again, does it need to be? Is it to be left at that?
4: I, Jenny, I want to say for starters, I. agree with you that if it stops at the handout, then that is not what we're called to. Um, However, I would say that building on a foundation, it's extremely hard if you are wondering where your next meal is coming from. Um, It's extremely hard as a parent if you uh, are working multiple jobs and can't afford healthcare. And it's extremely hard to have that level of abundance where you're able to teach the right messages. And, And so I think that I think that we should be advocating for um, completely, not only helping people with their current situation, but how do we get better? Um, I guess I would simply push back, and I want you to hear me that this is coming from a place of I have voted Republican, I have voted Democrat, I voted independent. I've, I've voted more Republican in my younger days than um, than I did. I've only voted for a couple of Democrats. So I'm not coming from a, a raging liberal perspective. <laughs> However, one of the things that really um, I think God's put on my heart a lot over the last several years. Hmm. This is one of the things that I wrote about in the book is, you know, there, there was the, there was the passage, and this is quite literally how he, how like, the, the gospel of John is closed. And I think that how we choose to close a book, if you're an author, has a lot to do with the last message you want uh, to, to leave a reader with. And the story when he's, when he's saying, you know, Hey, like, do you love me? You know, Peter, and he's like, yeah, Lord, you know, I do. And he's like, feed my sheep. And he wasn't like, all right, good, good answer. Let's go on the next. He was like, you know, do you love me? And he asked the second time. And he's like, yeah. And I mean, I I picture myself. And that was when it really started to hit me is like, why is he asking twice? Like, he's already like, yeah, of course, I love you. Feed my sheep. And then he says, you know, feed my sheep. He he, he literally reiterates this three separate times. And I started to really have my heart break because I think that throughout my whole life, I generally viewed most social policies through the lens of, I want to make sure that we don't accidentally create the incentive structure to not work. I want to make sure we don't create the incentive structure where people would sit at home and not, and I spent so much of my time, I would say over my twenties and early thirties thinking purely about that, of like, how, how can we make sure we're not too generous as opposed to saying, man, if as the church, we're going to err on one side or the other, I would definitely rather err on the side of generosity. And then and work our way back from that versus erring on the other side. And so, you know, my mindset is let's make sure that we have a social safety net where people feel secure. Let's make sure we have a social safety net where people can have good healthcare and we can debate how can we can do that best. I'm not saying hey it has to be Medicare for all. Let's we can have that policy discussion, but how can we make sure people feel secure in that? I have a a daughter who went through cancer as an infant and if we take away all ability to, you know, protect pre-existing conditions, that's that's problematic, in, in my family and in a lot of families. So how can we make sure people have a good, secure platform to build from? And then, yeah, let's let's talk about job programs. Let's talk about potentially universal pre-K. You know, let's talk about ways where parents could actually go out there and build. Uh, because when you give people a firm foundation, and then you make their incentives for for entrepreneurship and for for starting ventures, like all of these things, yeah, let's 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 talk about how to make that a reality. But I think that as Christians, we need to start from a place of let's err on the side of radical generosity and then work our way back as opposed to erring on the side of let's make sure that we're not creating a negative incentive structure because I think the vast majority of people actually want more than sitting on their couch and just getting a handout and there will always be those that do and but I don't want my policy judgments to be based on those folks I want my policy judgments to be based on how can we make sure that living in the richest country that's ever existed that we have that we have given people a good shot, because man, I know i 've been so blessed in so many ways to to have grown up in the household that I have to have had mentors that just got put into my life, and I feel so fortunate that I was mentored by some incredible people. That, that built the exact mindsets you're talking about, Jenny, I think that that's the role of the church, right? Is us going out there and saying like, how can we, how can I pour into you young person? And so that you have that spirit of like, I wanna go make better for, I wanna use my gifts that God's given me for his kingdom. And then also in the worldly, how can I make more people's lives better through the gifts that God's gifted me with? And I do think that's our role as mentors within a church. Um, but then I think from a politics standpoint, I would just push back against the notion that that, that Democrats purely want to give handouts. I, I don't think that's true. In fact, I think that they would, um, if you read all the policy platforms, there's a lot of stuff on job training, a lot of things on transition to a just economy as we go away from fossil fuels. A lot of, yeah, there's a lot of great stuff in there. Um, I think the hard part is right now we just get into partisan fights where, you know, Republicans say that it's just purely socialism for Democrats. And then and then Democrats say, Republicans want you to all die off of health care. And so we just end up shouting at each other. And instead of saying, let's, let's talk about real policies and let's go into the nuance, let's go into the details. And, and how can we have good governance that actually does take all those things in consideration?
0: Well, I think one topic we have to talk about is the topic of abortion and the definition of pro-life. It's such an important issue for Christians, especially when we're dealing with politics. So let's talk about it. Hank.
3: Um. Yeah. I mean, I think this actually feeds into what we've been talking about, right? Like, I think most people are pro-birth instead of pro-life. Um. So I think that's one, right? Um. The only people I found to have a consistent pro-life ethic are Catholics, you know, because they'll actually talk to you about war. They'll talk to you about. Um, they'll talk to you about capital punishment. They'll talk to you about living in inner cities and starting Catholic charities. Um, I think most people are just pro birth and it's like, what happens to this child when a child gets here, you know? Um, so yeah, so I think it feeds into some of this last conversation, you know, I do think there's nuance there. Um, I think that part of my struggle is that, you know, there's been five or six times in American history that America has literally given white people stuff that like people of color didn't get like at all, like free stuff, like tons of stuff, you know? Even now when people talk about handouts, they ignore the fact that, for example, in our welfare system, more white people are on it than say black people, you know? But that's not the narrative that we keep in the front of our minds. So I think when we talk about pro-life, if we wanna be Christians, we gotta have an all life ethic, you know what I mean? And for me, it's gotta be consistent. It can't just be what happens to the baby. Um, It has to be, does that baby have a chance at life? Does that baby have a chance at health, education? Does that baby have a chance at, at thriving in this world? And what does that look like? So for me as Christians, you know, when you say, are you pro-life, you know, my question to them is like, I am, you know, because I don't think we should ever go to war. I don't think there's any scenario where we should kill someone. I think when Jesus said, love your enemies, he was serious. Like, and people like, what happens if they put a gun to, you, to your wife's head? I was like, well, she's been an Anabaptist for like 400 years. So pay for my counseling, you know, because she'll be in heaven, you know, and they, they don't know what to do with that because it's just like, oh, that's different. But it's supposedly what we believe, right? And it's something I grew into, definitely. Um, But I just think that for people, when we talk about this, we need to stop just making it about one aspect of life and realize that we're supposed to be the life people. So if you want to talk to me anyway about pro-life, like I hope you have a whole ethic. I need you out here campaigning against the death penalty. I need you out here fighting for health care for people. I need you out here fighting for a cost of living increase. I need you out here, you know, making sure kids have proper education. Like if we're truly going to be about life, can it not just be about that first breath or those first couple of breaths? Can it be about a lifetime? And what does that look like? So for me, that's what informs that question for me. If you're going to be a pro-life person, I want you to be an all-life person. You know what I mean? Like I want you to have the same you know, and I think it's impossible to do that and pick a political party. And as know?
0: a resident Catholic, Hank, I will tell you, I am, I am the womb-to-tomb actual person. I believe no... No, death I, death I, death think, death. no <laughs> I think it's
3: increasing, but I think the reason I give Catholics credit is because in my walk, that was the first Christian group, you know, that I felt like were consistent. Not all Catholics, but like the true conservative Catholics are womb-to-tomb and I thought that was fascinating because I, I didn't see that in my Christianity.
1: You know, when I was younger and more involved in politics, as I was sharing earlier, my, one of my biggest problems with abortion was that um, I, I said, you know, I, I think people, this was year, years ago, but I said, I, I think what will happen is girls will start to use this as birth control. And everybody said, no, everybody knows. It's for that, oh, no situation. And I just would say, but if we just make it so easy, We just make it. Come on. I mean, I'm going to tell you as a girl, okay, as a girl growing up, I am a girl. uh, I was approached all the time. People would come to our schools all the time from Planned Parenthood. And they would say, why don't you come down to the clinic? Why don't you come down? It was encouraged on a regular basis. Maybe, I don't know, they, they could find the wayward child, wayward PK. They saw that in me. I don't know. But I mean, they would come and talk to the girls all the time about this. And I remember saying that I'm concerned this will be a form of birth control. And it was always the mindset of no, it will never come to that. Well, when Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, I remember looking at like the Twitter feeds and the different feeds. Mm -hmm. And the number one thing I saw girls say, I'm telling you this, I can send you the proof. The number one thing was, oh my God, I'm going to have to find a new form of birth control. I saw it over and over and over and over and over and over again. I mean, I just couldn't believe how many times I've seen this. And here, this is coming to life, the very thing that I thought. It, and it, 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 this should never have been birth control. And so that in itself is, is a whole issue. Now what um, I will say, what Hank said was a very, very good point is the church needs to figure out where we fully stand on this issue. And, and we're so conflicted in ourselves, I don't know if that will happen. My husband and I have had these conversations. Does life begin at conception? Does it begin at the heartbeat, does it begin at the first breath? I will say for the Jewish people, they believe that life begins at conception, but really when that heartbeat's when the heartbeat's and that's been hundreds and thousands of years. When the heartbeat began before, you know, I don't know how they would know when that heartbeat uh, began, but that was the concept. I think most Christians would absolutely relate. Term abortion is a problem, and that is where I feel that the party has gone. You know the the and again i don't I'm, again i'm not trying to be anti-democrat i'm just saying some of the things sure. guys yeah. i've yeah. had a shift this year okay i've had a massive shift mm-hmm. when i saw people cheering cheering celebrating partying in the streets because a baby could be aborted at eight months we have a problem the bible's very clear that shall not kill so it really does come down to where do we believe that life begins, and if you do believe it, when there's a heartbeat, there's life. To me, it's non-negotiable.
2: Agree. I, I think for for me is like I, I go back to the, the the scripture that mostly even even backsliders can quote. You know, before I was in your mother's womb, I knew you, and I think if you're known by God in the womb, you should be known by you should be known in the world. I, th- I think that is where. My, I just personally draw the line. I, I do think that there there are circumstances and situations that I think we tend to magnify and focus on. Uh, whether that is a pregnancy by rape, whether. Um, which even in the Bible, things like that did occur, or if it was like, or if it's between the wife of uh, the woman having the baby or, or the, or the baby, if the baby's going to be born and it kills the wife, if, the, if there, if there are circumstances where the health of the carrier is going to be con- incredibly, um you know, compromised, I think th- I can understand the conversation for situations like rape or a conversation like that. But I think outside of that, I think, for me, it's just like, no, that, sh- that shouldn't be an option. I think we need to protect our babies. I think biblically speaking, as she said, like Moses, what happened to attack on babies? Jesus, what happened to attack on babies? What did what did God do in both scenarios? He said, I need to protect um, the babies. I need to protect them. And I think as Christians, we got to do our better job. I'm speaking up, whatever that looks like. Again, I just think that um, it it could start. We can start off by teaching one thing to say, hey, you shouldn't have an abortion. Well, let's let's go deeper into the conversation. Let's just talk about sex. Why? It's just better for you to not have sex before marriage. Um, That's a better thing to do. Sometimes people don't want a baby because they're not prepared for babies. And so they have sex because they're having fun. They're doing whatever they're doing. And oh, my gosh, I'm about to carry a baby. Well, it would be a lot different if you were married and you'd be taken care of and you weren't worried about insurance. You weren't worried about high school. You weren't worried about all these different things, but now you are worried about all these things. And so the immediate concern of your life right now is to live your life, not protect the life. And I think what we have to do a better job is not only saying, like, "Hey, let's protect our babies, but let's go a step further. Let's let's go back to the conversation of sex. Let's go back and teach people. I think we're in the culture right now that we're teaching, hey, if you feel it, do it. You know, you got to experiment. You got to try. You got to do these things. These are the things that I'm struggling with as a youth pastor. I got people, young kids that are. Fifteen that have more sexual experiences than I ever had, and I'm a 27 year old grown man who is married. And the issue with them is that then now they feel pressure to, you know, they're they're in a situation where you're 15 years old and you have a baby, and you got and you and you and you're like, I just want to go to prom. So what do I do? I don't have a mom to take care of me. My dad is probably not in my life. The boyfriend that had the baby is claiming it's not his, and so now he's gone. And so now the most logical decision is to what? Abort the baby because truly it is an inconvenience to your normal life. That's the truth it's an inconvenience and due to an inconvenience you have some people that I do believe again there's different situations that are that are choosing to abort um, a baby. And I think, again, if you're known in the womb, you should be known in the world. And so I think it's something that we need we need to do a good job talking about to protect a baby, but not only just protect a baby. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about even for the people who, who aren't um, Christians, who aren't waiting for marriage. Well, let's talk about at a practical level, safe sex, use a condom, yeah. be smart. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about birth control. If that's really the issue, then 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 invite your parents into that conversation more than any other thing in the world. And so that's what I think the priority should be.
4: And that's that's um, my, my personal stance. I agree with you 100%. Like, I am pro-life. Here is where here is where I've landed in terms of my political leaning and the reason why I'm comfortable voting for folks in either party. It's not because I'm thrilled to vote for folks in either party, but why I've become comfortable. Um, I used to vote, like, when I was talking about my 20s, early 30s, the reason I voted Republican virtually 100% of the time was only based on abortion and i i would have echoed exactly what you said jenny and and i i don't argue someone that that necessarily feels that way what i would say is that there are a lot of ways to attack a problem you know there's a lot of ways to attack uh poverty we talked about earlier there's a lot of ways to attack healthcare and i think that if we as christians start by saying what are our end goals and if our end goal is I want to live in a world where there's less abortions. Like I want to protect, you know, um, babies in the womb. I want to live in a world where there are less abortions. And I also simultaneously want to live in a world where the love of Jesus is brought to people and that people are brought into the kingdom of God because of the way that I live my life and because of the um, the, the, the policies that I that I promote. And so when I think about it, I think that the, the struggle that we have is that pro-life um, is frequently turned into this, um, I think a lot of times a caricature of the actual, the actual stance of a lot of politicians in the same way that, that, you know, Democrats will do the same on the opposite side. So a lot of times when, when, like Jenny, when you were referencing parties in the streets, I I don't think that that is actually the heart of the vast majority. I I, I know quite a few Christian Democrats that are heartbroken. Um, I've heard lots of politicians that have stated, I don't I, I I don't like abortion. I would hope that, you know, I, I would never want, you know, if I was in a relationship with someone for them to have an abortion, I would never want a daughter of mine to have an abortion. And, and, and yet I, I don't feel like it's the government's role to step in. I don't agree with that stance. So I'm not defending that stance. However, I don't think the vast majority of the party is having parties in the streets about late-term abortion. I don't think that's actually true. In the same way, I don't think the vast majority of the Republican Party are really excited when they see images of people marching in Charlottesville saying the Jews will not replace us and running someone over in their car. Like, I don't think that's the best of the Republican party either. And so I think that we get in a very dangerous position when we want to make characterizations of either party as if they're the most extreme versions of either side. I think that's when we get in a little bit of trouble. And so where I've landed is, I, I would I think it'd be a wonderful world to live in where there are a lot of pro-life Democrats. <laughs> I think it would be a great world to live in where there are folks that have that womb to tomb mindset where they're advocating for these policies. When you look at the number of abortions in, in, in lower income, you know we have like 12.9% of, of women live below the poverty line and that accounts for 50% of the abortions. And so if we are really, really serious about how can we live in a world where there are less abortions it actually would be more p- beneficial for us to focus on poverty. It's like, how could we actually help with education? How yeah. can we help with social systems? That would actually lower the abortion rate in our country more than overturning Roe versus Wade. And yeah. so again, I'm real life. So I'm saying, how do we do all this? But I think that when we fixate on Supreme Court, the damaging part is that sometimes it causes Christians to defend pretty indefensible actions from certain politicians and and actually lose our ability to witness to folks that don't know Jesus yet. And so Absolutely. that's okay. I want to, I want to be able to keep my witness intact so I can reach people for the kingdom of God. I also simultaneously want to help live in a country with less abortions. So how do we go about that holistically and and not demonize one party to the other? And because again, I think that there are great ideas on how to solve problems from the right and the left. And I think what we need to do is get to a spot where we actually talk to each other and we actually discuss nuance Mm -hmm. and we actually don't demonize each other. Because if we do that, and we actually have more of those best ideas bubbling to the surface, I think that's where Christians can actually lead the charge to to break down polarization in this country, to bring the love of Christ to the world that is broken and fallen, and where we don't have to make people the bad guys just because of the party they believe in.
0: Well, we'll leave it right there for today. I wanna thank everyone that joined us on the panel today, Jenny, Hank, Tyshawn, and Aaron. And remember to check out Aaron's book, The Politically Homeless Christian, really challenged me to really consider all the angles of the situation, consider another person's camp or another person's approach to a political problem. And that, I think, is ultimately what we need in this country. But most importantly, as Christians, how do we maintain our witness? How are we an authentic witness of what Jesus came to do, what he established here as the kingdom and what he gave us as a command in the great commission we know this political time is going to be a hard season that's not going to end in the near future but always maintain your witness thank you so much again for watching us on this full day of the full life we'll see you next time